Welcome to Loaded and Rolling. I'm your host, Thomas Watson. It's Tuesday after all, and so that means it is time for another episode. And this week's topic, really interesting as well. There's some, when we talk about warehousing and operations, you know they're staffed by labor. People are obviously trying to get rid of them with robots and automation, but you still need a good warehouse staff. And for drivers and trucking, this was always something I wondered about which is why is detention happening? Is it really the warehouse's fault? Is there some other faults going on? And a lot of it has to do with their internal operations, which deals with labor. And so gonna have a really fun conversation coming up. Gonna be bringing on Joe Oliero, real, Chief Real Estate Officer at Wagner Logistics or Wagner Logistics, if you're Southern. I took a German class, so I still can't speak English correctly, but a lot of good stuff going on in that space. Uh, we're gonna be highlighting as well a recent uh, partnership with a um, variable, an on-demand marketplace for manufacturing, logistics, and warehousing to work on staffing. And this is one of those questions where staffing can be just as important. It's one thing to place the warehouse correctly and buy one, but it's another thing to make sure it actually runs. So I'm going to pull in Joe. Joe, welcome, sir. Pleasure to get to talk to you again. This is a really cool topic because I didn't think about how gig workers and the gig economy is impacting warehousing operations. No, Thomas, thanks for having me on. This is uh, it, it's a very prevalent topic. It's something that we deal with every day. And, and uh, yeah, it's uh, where's the labor is, is always the question. Like, how do we how do we deal with all that? So. But looking at always, so always traditionally, how do you find the labor prior to we, you know, before the world of the gig economy, we got all this on demand, this app. What was it like? Because I've heard back in the day, you could just walk up to places and like throw in an application and someone just walk out and interview you. And then, you know, you could get a job. Well, and, and in a lot of cases, you know, these big box warehouses are in an industrial park that have other fulfillment centers that have other industrial type operations where if you can drive a lift, if you can operate, you know, material handling equipment, you, you've got a job. And, and in many cases, uh, you had people that would, get hired, work there for a little bit, and then go apply across the street for 50 cents more an hour and work it as long as they could. And I think you've seen, uh, you know, the, the, the shortage in labor play into that kind of activity. Um, and now, you know, the, the gig economy has come along and now people can be even more flexible on when they choose to work. So if you just want to drive a forklift on a Thursday for four hours, you know, with this variable partnership that we established, you can do that. And it's, um, and what's interesting is leveraging the gig economy doesn't replace your entire workforce. And I don't know that it ever will. Uh, for us, it's more about mitigating risk. It's more about making sure that we have people in the warehouse. Um, and it, traditionally hiring temp labor has been a nightmare. And, and, and I, I, I don't think I, speak alone when I say this, but if, if you're hiring temp labor, sometimes you, if you need five, you got to ask for 10. Um, and because you're going to end up, you know, there's going to be two no shows. Uh, you're going to have to let somebody go. Somebody's going to walk out by noon and, and, you know, somebody's going to flake out on you. So, um, there's a lot of issues with temp labor that, are somewhat mitigated by bringing in the gig economy and leveraging people that actually you know, really engage with the work and want to be there. Um, on the flip side of that, you also have a rating system, which keeps everybody at some level of accountability. 
with, with temp services, you lose a little bit of that accountability because it always falls back on the temp service that you're hiring, not necessarily the temp worker. And that temp worker can go, you know, break product or, you know, uh, damage stuff or just be a, a problem more than a, a good employee. And there's no accountability. They just go to the next warehouse across the street. But with the gig economy, what, what you have is a, a rating system where you can say, this guy is, is qualified to drive a lift. He showed up uh, early. Uh, he you know, stayed late or he did, he did what was necessary to get the job done uh, rather than they showed up late, uh, complained a lot, didn't you know, follow instructions when given them. And uh, it, it, it changes some of the expectations and, and puts a little bit more authority on, on the, uh, you know, the warehouse manager to uh, not retaliate, but to, to hold that person accountable for the work that they're doing. And, you know, part of what we're discussing today is how that, how that translates into whether or not you have uh, trucks waiting or dwelling outside waiting for their shipments to be loaded. And that's what I always wondered about, because I'm assuming you have to have a certain staffing level based on how many trucks you're having to load and unload. And then that opens up a whole new can of worms with the temp workforce. Uh, on average, from your experience or talking with other people, is a temp workforce a large p- p- part of the warehouse? Or is it something where you can at least have like half or three quarters of your staff your full time, but you have to flex and shift if you see like a, a surge in demand? Yeah, so a lot of that depends on how well our customers or our shippers that we work for communicate with us. Um, if they give us ample notice, we'll say within about a week or a two weeks notice of when we might see a peak in activity, we can quickly coordinate temp labor uh, to facilitate that uh, that peak in activity. Or, um, and, and, and I guess to back up a little bit, most of our contracts assume certain volumes of activity, unless it's a purely transactional relationship. Um, So we're assuming that there will be enough work to keep the base, what I would call the base workforce busy. And then if we see an uptick in activity or a forecast that, hey, they're running a sale and they need, um, you know, X amount of, of volume is expected as a part of that sale, then we have to quickly go and facilitate that. Obviously, there's a cost to bringing on more labor, and all these shippers are much more cost conscious these days. So you have to have that clear line of communication between the warehouse and the shipper to say, okay, it's going to cost this much to bring these folks in. Do you still want to do that? Or do, do we, is it okay to have some of these shipments running behind? And, um, so I'm going to go off on a tangent a little bit here, but but the it, then it boils down to how how elastic is that shipper in relation to consumer demand? Um, you know, it, a lot of the consumer demand that we expect now today from you know an Amazon shipment where you might get it same day, a lot of those expectations have trickled down to the B2B realm uh, where. The shipper might ex- it might have higher expectations for when the shipments go out, reducing dwell time and figuring those things out. But that requires a, a clear line of communication. It requires uh, a, a dedicated process uh, by the warehouse to make sure that all those orders are staged, 
that they're properly staffed and uh, that, that they have, uh, a, I guess, a succinct process and standard work instructions to move those products from their location in the warehouse to the staging area or taking inbound product and properly allocating where it needs to go so that when you do get that order, you're not looking all over the warehouse for it. You have it in an integrated system that lines up with the shipper's ERP or their uh, preferred uh, system so that really the data is as close to real time as you can get. And that can make a big difference as well. I noticed that at some forwarders and other places like air freight forwarders, sometimes they say they would lose it or it'd be in the wrong spot and it'd take three extra hours because maybe the lift was broken. Is that something where for drivers and folks wondering why it's dwell, why am I stuck waiting here? Some of these customers, maybe they have too much turnover and staff, but also they don't know where to properly place the items to even stage the items. I, I think if it's a... It, it, Yes. So I guess the short answer is yes. I think in, in some cases you do, you do lose product because it, uh, uh, maybe it hasn't been properly allocated or they didn't scan the product in when it came in the warehouse. It's those, and it's really not the, the systems themselves. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's like, like my grandpa used to say, it's not what tool you use. It's more so how you use the tool. If you use it improperly, well, you're going to get an improper result, right? So taking some of the human error uh, out of the equation, like eliminating uh, keystrokes, as many keystrokes as possible from uh, the employee's standpoint, you really just want them scanning stuff in. You don't want them doing keystrokes. There's too much room for error in that. So a lot of the continuous improvement projects that we see and that, uh, that come along usually have to do not removing the human aspect from it, but just making it simpler and reducing the the, the contingency for human error. Um, I'll give you an example. So in our Monroe facility, uh, we have uh, we've we've instituted uh, some drone technology for cycle counting. Which if you're not familiar with cycle counting, it's a means of taking snapshots of inventory throughout the warehouse to make sure that those those uh, those products are in the location that they should be and that when we go to pull them, we know exactly where they are or uh, some kind of absolute uh, inventory. Um, and so in, instead of having a, a laborer or a warehouseman going through on a lift and scanning every box in that in that aisle, we've incorporated drone technology to go through and scan each box. It takes a third to a fifth of the time that it would take the laborer to go through and scan those boxes, uh, and it's more reliable. And so now what you have is a process that gives you a report. The, the drone sends back a report and it says, hey, we found four errors in this particular aisle. Now all the laborer has to do is go check four boxes or four pallets versus 400 in the aisle. And so you're taking a lot of their error, their their potential for error out of the equation. The drone can do what they need. And then you can take that extra four hours that that laborer would have spent, you know, taking the inventory and redeploy them as an asset within the warehouse, which really makes you more productive. 
I'd always wondered that because, uh, you know, you have to have folks who can drive forklifts, who are qualified to use the equipment in the warehouse. I always wonder if that put a, a premium price on folks who had it, or if you could free up the labor, then maybe they could drive the lift. Was well, that something where within the warehouse, is there a division of like uh, specific responsibilities within the warehouse, which is why the gig workforce, maybe you have to find certain workers with certain niche roles. I always wondered how that worked because I didn't know if they had like 12 forklift operators for 12 bays or if like you kept four of them for 12, you know, if there was a percentage and that could explain as well some of the inefficiencies because you can't find more lift drivers to even load them. Yeah, and in a lot of cases, that's why you hire temp labor um, to do some of the more remedial tasks so that your high performers in the warehouse can really go and execute where the rubber meets the road. And I, and I, I guess that's how I look at it more so than uh, paying a premium for a Lyft driver. Uh, there is somewhat of a premium for a Lyft, somebody that's certified or qualified to drive a Lyft versus someone who's just you know uh, banding or shrink wrapping pallets. Um, but you know th- those 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 people that have those additional qualifications, they're also they also have the high potential to be a leader uh, uh, in that warehouse, and that that uh, you know you want to spend the extra time, you want to be involved with those folks, and all that extra time that you spend with your more qualified folks trickles down to those temp laborers or those gig workers coming in saying, hey, I really like working here. I think I might want to make this a full-time thing. And um, it, it helps with, uh, you know, the continuous improvement culture. Uh, it helps with employee satisfaction. If they can see that, you know, if I work hard, if I do these things, I'll be able to drive a lift. I'll be able to take on more responsibility and feel rewarded, um, you know, have a rewarding environment. And, and not to get it mushy here, but, you know, we're, we're not – we're not a culture of big burly warehousemen anymore, you know, lumping uh, containers of, you know, heavy sacks of grain or anything off, off the containers anymore. There's still that work out there, but the, the uh, inclusive and, and diverse culture that has become warehousing these days demands that extra attention. It demands that you cross train your employees, that you explain to them why we need to get this out by two o'clock today or what happens when we don't. Um, you also have meetings around safety and you know how important that is to, to the equation and, and really giving everyone kind of a global view of why things are important in the warehouse rather than just pointing and saying, you have to do this uh, right now. It's um, creating that, I guess, that that culture of accountability and um, ownership of the warehouse. And I always wondered, because I feel like warehouses can get a bad rap if they're poorly ran, just like certain trucking companies can get a bad rap if they you know, fail to meet their obligations or they decide to like dump the load and never pick it up. And so for like a warehousing standpoint, I was really curious with these gig workers. Uh, is it something where uh, your typical gig user who wants to do this freelance work, are they looking for a warehouse that eventually fix, you know, fits their uh, goals and culture? Or is it something where you can be opportunistic like a mercenary and I'm assuming you can get paid extra for ad hoc same day labor and then maybe that's their actual, their goals? I think, I think it's closer to the latter. It's, I wouldn't call them mercenary, but, but, uh, I think what's interesting and, and we see this in Kansas city, you have, uh, RV parks 
not too far away from many industrial parks that people will travel all over the country and they'll use warehouse work if they're qualified as an excuse to go and travel. Um, there's folks like uh, it, uh, you could have a stay at home mom that, that wants to get out away from her kids every now and again and drive a forklift or just do s- some work in a warehouse that doesn't require a whole lot of, you know, focused attention like you would have on your kids. But it's, it's people like that, that don't necessarily need the work. It's, it's more of a, um, a means of facilitating their lifestyle and supporting their lifestyle more so than, Hey, I have to have this 40 hour a week job. You know, that yeah. the days of that are, are, are gone. And, and, but these folks, it's, it's almost a niche group that likes the gig work. Um, yeah. That's wild. Like I, I always wondered yeah. about that because I know with, we talked a lot about, you know, I've being in media, the, the whole post COVID landscape, changing nature of work, you know, throw the clickbait headlines out there, of course. But I did wonder when it talks about actual rubber meeting the road, if this has led to a rise or a growth in more of these gig workers to where it's now harder to find full time and now technology's having to in partnerships, having to come in and do that. If it's something notable compared to like 2019, if we had this talk versus 2023, I do wonder if it would still have the same tune. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, on the flip side of that, when we talk about full-time employees, uh, you know, it, it, it takes quite a bit of time and resources to hire a full-time employee. I think we spend roughly a thousand dollars per full-time employee just to recruit them. Um, and they don't, that's not, that doesn't assume that they signed the employment agreement either. So there's a lot of time and effort spent on the full-time employees that we do have. Um, and having a consistent resource with the gig economy um, gives us that opportunity to spend a little extra time and maybe increase our retention uh, more so than ever. And you, you, it's funny you talk about 2019. We, we also have to be careful on where we recruit. Um, so we partnered with groups like Diversity First that takes our job posting and makes sure that minority groups and, and folks that may not show up on the indeed algorithm also get a full scope of opportunities uh and career opportunities uh right in front of them so that it, it, it works for us because we're maximizing our exposure to get as many employees as we can and, and get good employees but it also allows us to get in front of a full spectrum of of potential employees so it's not siloed to one particular platform like indeed or you know what used to be the monster.com i was i was curious about that because i know it all directly eventually translates into loading times with trucks uh looking at that situation training people how to even load tractors trailers having the operators uh you know for drivers and executives and people listening wondering how their shipper partners are performing is that a challenge as well having not only the retention but if you do lose a few key operators in a warehouse who are typically loading these things does that have a a meaningful impact and is there a ramp up time to where you have to train the next group to be able to efficiently and safely uh you know load and unload vehicles yeah so every morning our warehouse manager uh, has a, um, 
what I call like a team meeting or a, a team welcome meeting. He does that before every shift, depending on how many shifts that we have. And it's, it's kind of like a huddle uh, with, with your quarterback, you know, the warehouse manager uh, takes all the players that he has on the field. And he says, okay, well, we don't have a tight end for this play. Shelly, I'm going to need you to fill in and do a little extra work on this. And we don't have to have these orders out until three. So we'll handle all the, all the orders that need to go out by 11 today. And you just come up with this game plan on a daily, weekly, and monthly basis. And so depending on the level of data you receive from your customers, uh, the, the, the way that, uh, you know, the standard work instructions that we have to follow for loading and unloading truckloads, um, you know, you kind of put all that together and you put a lot of the weight on the warehouse manager's shoulders. And we, we expect a lot of them uh, uh, to be leaders, you know, in the warehouse and to kind of own what needs to be done and figure out a way to get it done. And it reminds me of work-ins versus appointments too, because you have a game plan and then, you know, all good plans only last until contact. And then you got to start adjusting and improvising. Um, When you have that happening, I think a lot of folks, even in the trucking community, don't understand what happens when you're late and why behind the scenes there's a whole other situation going on to even accommodate you. But then, you know, you're saying, oh, this is taking too long. Yeah, so a lot of times the, I, I guess... I'll use a, uh, an example for like when we service a manufacturer, when we're shuttling product back and forth, or when we're expecting raw materials to come in to shuttle those to a manufacturer, uh, a lot of times the raw materials that we get in, uh, they, they are late because of how they were loaded at whatever previous destination they were, they were, they were uh, at or where they loaded up the truckload to bring to our warehouse. And so a lot of times they're late because of that. And we have to figure out, well, we've got dock door number three open. We can potentially put you over there. You know, the driver comes in, checks in, he says, Hey, here's my load. Um, I'm about an hour late. And so then it's on our CSR uh, customer service rep to go in and help allocate a dock door and then communicate with the manager and the supervisor to say, Hey, this load finally came in. Are we going to be able to get this done? Can you give me an ETA? Where are we on these three other loads that came in before, uh, this one came in late. And so it's, it's a, it's kind of a, you know, it's kind of a waltz. We're all kind of working together in the warehouse to get these things done. And sometimes you can only put out one fire at a time. And if the, truck driver missed his window and we had a heavy window after that, there's just some dwell time that's going to happen there. And so a lot of our contracts specifically state that we're not on the hook for those dwell times, especially if there's things out of our control, like getting loads in late or not on time. If it's on time and we unloaded too slow or we didn't have a doctor ready for them, then it's on us. That's something we can control. But a lot of times the things that are out of our control, we do the best we can with what we have, where we are. And um, that comes up more often than not during a peak season uh, where you have a lot more activity, you have a fluctuations in, in labor and with fluctuations in labor come higher need for more training more often and so it just demands more resources 
during peak season. And so you see a lot more of that during peak season times, but it's, it's always, it's always a, uh, you know, a, a two-step dance. Got a little over a minute left. Looking at peak thoughts, uh, is it a hurry up and wait, or does it look like folks have a clear idea of what they think for demand so far, at least anecdotally? I don't think shippers know what's what's happening yet. And I think uh, I, the, the feedback that we keep getting is a uh, hurry up and wait, or, hey, can you do this on a month-to-month basis for us for now? Um, or can you do a three, six, you know, 12-month or less contract and we we're seeing more of that uh we're also dealing more with uh subleases and short-term real estate leases for warehouse space um and that's just a pure i I think a lot of shippers put themselves in a position to be able to sublease space they took on more than they needed to because they had to at the time so it's a lot of hurry up and wait and everybody's trying to figure out how to how to assess this consumer demand Perfect. 20 seconds left. Folks want to learn more about Wagner Logistics, get in touch. Where to find y'all? You can find us at wagnerlogistics.com. You can find us on LinkedIn uh, under Wagner Logistics, and you can find us in 25 different markets uh, around the U.S. We occupy roughly 7 million square feet of warehouse space and operation, and uh, we like to say bring it. Love it. Joe, thanks again for your time. Always amazing catching up. Looking forward to this stuff going on as well. We'll have to touch base, see how peak season went in the next few weeks. But Thanks, Thomas. Appreciate you having me out. It's going to be a wrap for today, but don't worry. We have the newsletter coming up on Tuesday at 2 p.m. You can recatch this on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. Check out the Wagner Logistics folks as well. Great stuff going on there. That's a wrap for today. I can hear the Oscar music in my ear. Join us next Tuesday at 1 p.m. We'll do it live.